Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the overlap. It at this point, I feel like it pains me to do these episodes now. Not because I hate Rian, not because like I have any, you know, ill will towards anybody. It's just my mental health has taken such an extreme beating from watching what is left of this Catalan team that uh, I've I've lost the will to watch parts of Spanish football now <laughs> here and then. But uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's gotten that bad for Espanol. <laughs> ah, oh no! All right, fair. You win. No, that's all right. That's a good. Ah, fuck you, Jesus. <laughs> all right. Usually, I'm not one to. You know, I'm not going to lose it. I don't. <laughs> what are we? I think we're we're a couple places above Espanol on the table now. I think Barcelona are in seventh. Espanol are in thirteenth. So, yeah, we're getting lower. Um, good joke. Good. Jo- I don't even know where to go from here. Anyway, that's that's what I'm here for. <laughs> just to make me feel pain. Jeez. <laughs> oh, Welcome back to the overlap, ladies and gentlemen. Rian, how are you doing outside of making me feel extremely sad about my footballing choices? <laughs> um, I am trying to uh, adapt, readapt, I guess I should say, to working in a corporate office again. And it is... It is going aggressively okay is the is the best thing I can say about it. Um, is that your way of saying that you would – what you prefer to do, like 50-50 or like mm, – which I mean you're basically doing now. That's what I'm doing. That's more or less what I'm doing right now. It's more like the cold water of like get, getting back into everything. Um, honestly, like forgetting how tired one can get at the end of a work day, like specifically when you're taking like a subway, when you're like yeah, subwaying yeah. to and, fro- and from um, like that, like extra level of tiredness when I get back to my apartment and it's just like, oh, wow. That was like a lot, like being in the New York city subways, like just the humidity of waiting for the subway and just like, uh, yeah the disgustingness of like the humidity being being down there waiting for your train and then you throw on top of that you get home and you still have to take your like work clothes off and stuff like it's just another added thing and it's like oh it's like oh man it's basically life like it's... you've just you've described life <laughs> pre-covid essentially yeah yeah and you know some parts of it sucked a lot more than i remembered so <laughs> that's that's really what i'm dealing with right now but but outside of that um not not many complaints honestly <laughs> other, other <laughs> yeah. than everything <laughs> that you just just mentioned no yeah yeah, yeah for other sure. than you know just everyday life i can't really complain <laughs> all right fair enough i guess i guess that's fair not really though but i'll i'll take your word for it well I'm glad you're doing well i'm glad watching chelsea is not driven you into insanity um what else is new honestly not much has gone on other than the fact that yeah i i think i've derived fewer the fewest amount of joy or the smallest amount of joy from watching football in the last three weeks than i have in the entirety of my life so we're going to talk about that 
for this week's podcast. We're not actually going to talk about that. We're going to we're going to start off with more important matters, of course, and talk about the first team and the first game, I should say, first fixture in Spain. Going back to Real Madrid, Valencia, because we really didn't talk about Spain as much last week. I know we mentioned, of course, the Champions League fixtures. We mentioned a little bit about what happened the prior weekend, but haven't had a chance to really debrief on, I guess, what you would call the success of Real Madrid at this point. Like, like under Ancelotti, right. they they look okay. <laughs> like, with an asterisk, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It's funny, we went into this season feeling very down on Barcelona and Real Madrid, right? And I know that a lot of my hesitations about um, Real Madrid's success for this season had to do with the question marks pretty much around almost everyone in the team outside of, let's say, like Ben's probably Benzema, Casemiro, and that was pretty much it outside of that. It, it was, I, of course you could throw in um, Modric and, and Cruz when healthy. Um, but even with those two, there were some question marks just because of their age, <laughs> which is funny because I don't have those question marks about Karim Benzema's age. He's just showing that he ages like wine, pretty Not much. Fine wine. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, my biggest hesitations were around Carlo Ancelotti and what basically his managerial success over the last five years, pretty much. Um, well, what what about it? Like what like what about his managerial experience? I guess kind of concerning because I mean I had the same, I had similar concerns, but I want to hear it from your point of view. Yeah, it pretty much stems back to his time with. Bayern Munich, which I believe he came in right after Pep Guardiola. And look, that's a hard act to follow for anyone. But um, I just distinctly remember one of the complaints from the players, uh, I believe it was like Thomas Muller, after some period of time of, of playing under Ancelotti at Bayern there, he was kind of wondering, like, why is the training not at the not remotely at the same level? Like basically like saying something along the lines of, we're not really training that much. <laughs> like, and they, um, yeah, Carlo Ancelotti is a very soft touch manager, right? and Guardiola is the most hard of hard touch managers. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. The biggest yeah, micro. It's like right now, I guess you'd say like him and Tuchel are, are the most micromanaging managers that yeah. are that, that's in the game right now. But um, it's them to that, and then just Everton as as refreshing i guess as those couple years with everton were from from everton standpoint you know mm-hmm. being able to attract a manager like carlo ancelotti the the team the way they played was pretty meh honestly <laughs> um when hamas rodriguez came in and when he was healthy and playing there was obviously a bit more zest to their attacking play into their play as a whole but I think what you've seen happen with them under Rafa Benitez so far and to the point where they let James Rodriguez go to Qatar and didn't play him at all um, these first few weeks and they've looked very entertaining they've looked so much 
I don't know, I think better organized and, and more, seem like they have more life to them than they did um, under Ancelotti. Those were reasons for me feeling like this wasn't going to be that great of a reunion for Ancelotti here, but I've been proved wrong so far. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with the surprise of Nacho and Militao and how well they've played together. Like that's yeah, that's not something that we necessarily expected to happen. Um, Karen Benzema, who's already got eight goals, like that. That's I mean. We expect him to score goals, but at this rate so far is has been extremely impressive. Yeah. And then you throw in, finally, finally, we're getting end product from Vinicius Jr. And that is probably the biggest X factor. Uh, that Without that, um, and I think a really good first few games from Kamavinga, like really impressed with him so far too. Yeah, um, not not necessarily surprising because of how well he played at. I, I think it was one of his first games when he was like 16, starting for um, for Ren, and they, and and had a great game against PSG. And I remember that, and be like, okay, yeah, that guy's got next. But to see how well he's already kind of um, effect had an effect on the Real Madrid team so far, like that's really encouraging. But like I said, the the big X factors have to be Vinicius and um and how well the players are are taking to Carlo Ancelotti so far yeah I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with the two major factors here one Vinicius's finishing has clearly clearly stepped up just from a technical standpoint like that I mean the first of two Real Madrid goals against Valencia and the dying moments of this game over the past weekend, I think really, really solidified how well he is, I guess, improved on that finishing ability because it's of such a tight angle at such a narrow margin with the, such a narrow margin for error that many, many players in the world, I think would probably not be able to finish, especially in the dying moments of a game. And he did it so calmly and coolly he almost made it look like Kareem Benzema was on the end of that ball. And it was genuinely impressive to see. And I think the second point that you made about Carlo Ancelotti's return being a shift almost away from what he's been doing for the last several years in management. One of the things that I think strikes me the most about some of the stories coming out of Real Madrid are, is, is around his training sessions now. And I think under Zidane and even previously under Ancelotti, there had been such an emphasis on attacking football and how how do we basically get the ball from the final third to the goal rather than from the midfield line or the back line to the final third. And I think the stories that I've seen coming out of Real Madrid now are much more focused on, A, yes, how do we, of course, attack the goal, but more so how do we defend right properly? How do we protect our goal in our back line from some of these counterattacks from teams like Cadith, which we'll get to in a, a moment. But again, it's much more, much more of a holistic take on, on football for this Real Madrid team now. And you're seeing the fruits of Carlo Ancelotti's labor. Yeah. And just to kind of stay, stay on that defensive side <clears throat> to go back to Militao and, and not, and not Joe. Um, Honestly, like they're 
Militao, especially from this Mallorca game, his line breaking passing has been really impressive. Like, and and maybe it's just something I didn't pay attention to as much um, when he played last season, but I feel like that is something that we regularly used to see from Sergio Ramos in this team and be able where, you know, he would kind of, if he's not necessarily doing it by scoring the goals, he's doing it by helping to progress the ball forward. Um, Especially in those times when Madrid or Tony Cruz are not on the, on the field. That has been so, so refreshing i think mm-hmm. from from this team and there there is a bit of hesitation that i do have about like how well they're defending so far because that's fair um, no one's gonna say that they're the best defensive team in right. Liga, which even statistically yeah. they are not <laughs> yeah what 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 has been like because they're they're sitting somewhere i think in pretty mid table in terms of or sorry what one of the lower lower end i think they've got the fourth worst expected goals allowed yep um right now uh but at the same time they have scored the most goals in the league by all like double almost double uh, i think <laughs> next best is valencia with 11 um yep like granted they have two games where they scored six and five goals to be to be fair but it, it's still really surprising how well they've started um five wins and one draw you know again who knows how sustainable this will all be well that will just take time but i think you have to like a lot of the signs so far there's a lot of encouraging signs from this team and a lot of it's coming from the players who are now in like maybe their third or fourth season of being with the club. Right. And, and we asked a lot of questions, especially at the end of last season um, in terms of where is the next set of stars on this team or, or, or not even stars necessarily, but where's the next guard of players that will help carry this team into the next phase. Right. And look, the Camavinga siding very very well done by by them it only very yeah. very late swoop <laughs> yeah late swoop on a player that had less than a year left on his contract a, a player that are very surprised that more clubs did not go after but you know I, i'm sure once real madrid got into the discussion he probably had his heart set on it but a shrewd signing and a player that definitely looks like he can take up the Luka Modric mantle at some right it, within a in a year, honestly. Like I th- like I think a year from now you could you could kind of give him the keys to the midfield. Um his combination with a guy like Val- like Fede Valverde, who's gonna do a lot of the running. Um and I don't know who the third midfielder might end up being. Look, we saw a goal from Isco over this weekend. I don't, I, I'm not ready to get to, you know, jump back on that hype train. Uh, uh, we've, we've been on and off that train too many times. <laughs> yeah. I've been hurt too much. And then obviously an encouraging hat trick from uh, Asensio and, and really hope that he gets 
somewhere close back to that form that he was in right before he tore his ACL. And, you know, hopefully it's just like one of those things where it just takes time and takes longer than we expect um, to like trust your body and get back into the right, you know, mindset and confidence levels. But I'm sure that hat trick will feel very good. Um, this, you know, in spite of how poor I think that that Mallorca team played during that game, like, yeah, it it so. was not exactly close. And again, this is a, a Mallorca team who have somewhat higher expectations than last season because again, they came up out of the Segunda last season, played fine throughout the season, the league enough to sustain them. Um, and sometimes some stretches of the season looked strong, but to start this season, they have only won, well, two games. Yeah, Drew they started Vill- all right. They started okay. They were just really bad in that game. Like that was yeah. That was the, the defending was so bad. The first goal was obviously a big mistake, and then the defending on the rest of the goals were just really, really poor. So it's uh, it's hard to take a lot from that game honestly it's it's true but again the marcus Asensio point is very very key here because i do think that he is somewhat even in the last season fallen off our radar like he's been available he's recovered and quote unquote from his injury but it's more so about can you find a starting spot ahead of benzema vinicius hazard occasionally bail when when he's feeling like not hitting the golf course yeah I think that's a tough question. And maybe three years ago, the, the answer to that would have been yes, but not, not necessarily right now. But the last point that I want to make about Real Madrid before we move on is just highlighting how insane Kareem Benzema's start to the season has actually been. Eight goals in La Liga, seven assists through, what, five match days? That is unprecedented scoring levels. Like, you're talking about it's dare I say ridiculous. Messi-esque numbers to start this? Yeah, season. no, I mean, honestly, like, yeah, to, yeah those are Messi-esque numbers. So yeah. Like, if you're talking about a, a six-game stretch, yeah. 100%, 100%. And again, this isn't to say that, okay, he's going to go on and do this the rest of the season. He very well might, to be fair. But I think one of the things that this has reinforced for me is just how, again, underrated Kareem Benzema has been throughout his entire Real Madrid career. He has been through basically, what now, 11, 12 years at Real Madrid and not once, I believe, finished top of the scoring charts. And I think that's been one of the reasons why he's been so underrated because people feel as though it's just about his scoring ability or it's nothing else. But again, going to show you that the next highest i guess assist tally in la liga at three is Iker munain from bilbao this green benzema is hitting otherworldly levels right now um and honestly it's it's wonderful to see a player that's bouncing back in some ways even though he never really had to bounce back from anything yeah i i got no, nothing nothing more to say about king karam he's just oh i like that I had, n- I had not heard that before. I, I enjoyed he, that. No, he, 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 there's not much else to say about him. He's, he is, I think, undoubtedly the best player in the league, right? Like, he, he's, he's probably, he was the, probably the second best player in the league last season. 
Um, and this year, and now, you know, with Messi gone, I don't see any other player being as impactful as him. Now, we'll get on to Atletico later, but yeah, in maybe in a pipe dream, maybe if Antoine Griezmann gains his full, I don't know, aura back, then, yeah, then he could challenge for that, but oof, hard to, it's hard to see right now. Not a great start for him back again at Atletico, but again, we're five games in, TBD on, on I believe, six games actually now, but TBD on, on how that goes. So, Rian, let's move on to our first question of the week about La Liga. The one that's been plaguing my mind for the last, I don't know, six weeks since the season started. <laughs> Rian, I'm going to only ask you once. Do you believe that Ronald Koeman should stay on as Barcelona coach? I think the answer here is pretty easy. Um, <laughs> I, the answer is pretty easy. It's not the it's not the uh, it's not the ultimate issue. I think my answer is going to be just about the same as everyone else's. It's going to be no. Um, it's also going to be he probably shouldn't have gotten it in the first place. And a lot of people who watch the Premier League thought that was uh, <laughs> at best a bold move for a coach um it's not about whether he should be like yes he obviously should should be sacked of course um and obviously it's always easy to throw out the oh well who are they gonna bring in i mean does it matter at this point like honestly but well but go ahead but before you yeah before you before you answer like the most important question that involves his management or involves his um, job status is can Barcelona sack him considering <laughs> the money that they owe him? It's yeah. what, reported about 6 million euros. Like, Oh, it's probably a little more. Oh, geez. It's, yeah. Somewhere close to 10 or 12. Yeah. Yeah. So it, the answer yeah he definitely should not be the coach agreed like absolutely no one's gonna fight you on that one um like they can bring in and almost anyone else and the results are not going to be worse i just don't think they i just don't think the results can get will will get worse because they sacked him i think they can get worse of course but I don't think it's going to be because they sack Ronald Koeman. <laughs> right, right, right. It, it's, it's more of, can they afford to sack him? Yeah. And is that going to be, be the reason that they don't sack him until it gets like fully rock bottom or just the second half of the season or end of the season? Yeah. Well, here's the thing, right? Like, I can't even imagine this Barcelona team winning their next game. Like, I just, like, as we go game by game, of course, we're recording after the nil nil draw against Cadiz today, the, what, I don't even know what you want to call game against Granada on Monday that somehow I felt like was worse <laughs> than yeah. what I watched today. Um, of course, of course, Ronald Coleman should be sacked. Your question is valid. Can they afford to sack him? Which I think the answer is yes. From, from what I believe, what I've seen, what I've read, and what I've seen reported. The other question, which is more interesting to me, 
is will Laporta sack him? Not necessarily should he be sacked or can they afford him? Because if you remember when Laporta was elected president, he basically said, okay, Ronald Coleman, you are not the coach that I picked. I'm going to try and look for a replacement. And if I can find one, you're effectively gone. So he kind of led with that to begin their professional relationship. Of course, Ronald, or Laporta found out that their financial situation was so bad that, of course, they had to let Messi and Griezmann that everyone go. But he had to keep Ronald Coleman because he simply could not find another coach. So now the question is, if you're Laporta and you fire Coleman, you're bringing in someone who is your coach. You're not bringing in someone who is the previous management's coach or previous board's coach. You're bringing in the coach that you feel can take Barcelona back to the level that it once was several years ago. So who does that person become? No one actually knows because I'm sure it's sitting up in his brain and he hasn't told many people. But that's the more interesting question to me is, will Laporte actually do it? Because that means he's going to have to fight the political battle saying, okay, this... Let's let's just take Chavi for example. Like this is my person now for the next several years. I'd like leading this new project of Barcelona. That means that you're stuck with that person. Basically, <laughs> you you live and die with that the coach's results. So another portion to think about. No, that, and that's a good point. I mean, this I, I feel like this happens a lot in, Mer- in American sports too, where like the general manager of a, t- a new general manager comes in and the old coach is still there. And it's just like, Oh, well, what's going to happen? Like, this is kind of tense. And once the general manager brings in their guy, in this case, if Juan Laporta does the same, then it's, then it's like, yeah, now they're like married to this person. And down the road, the question will be, well, are they going to be stubborn and and just keep that person on because it's their guy? Um, so so that's that's of course something that always has to be weighed up as well. But I I don't know I I don't think that this has hit rock bottom yet, and that is what scares me honestly, Elias. Um, I'm not sure that this has hit rock bottom yet. So, do you mean in the context of Ronald Coleman being coach, or yes. this Barcelona team's style of play? Okay, okay. Style, I, like, those two can be linked: style of play, Ronald. Coleman oh, they are the linked. Coach. Oh, they're definitely yeah. linked. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, fully yeah, linked. Doubt. You know, like what we saw today. I mean, to, uh, bad refereeing aside, the, the refereeing was terrible. Honestly, the, the two yellow cards from Frankie De Young were so 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 harsh i mean though that aside honestly um to see how kind of lifeless this barcelona team played in the first half um how lifeless they played through a lot of that granada game um i think things looked a bit better up until the i think things not a bit better things did look better in the second half against cadiz up until frank de young sending off but to see that and then the subs that are brought on it's just like it's it's like kids it's all kids it's i i i don't see how this gets better before it gets worse like i i just don't see it um which 
obviously at least that that is no help to your mental state but <laughs> we're, we're here for honesty not for um, <laughs> mental therapy but yeah I mean like honestly the outside of the really crazy finish to the game today like uh, it could have gone either way at the end I think Memphis will be very very disappointed in in not being able to finish the chances that he had um like my my biggest highlight from that game today was when there was that second ball on the field and Busquets just hits it <laughs> hits it directly at the captain's player who had the ball <laughs> and like and, and then and then it's like oh, okay wow what the hell and, yeah. and he gets like a, a free kick from there like that that was the that was the highlight of that game today for me I was laughing for probably like a good 60 seconds when he did that yeah but. Yeah, it was genius. Big brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was basically a, like a tactical foul because he ended up getting a yellow card from it too. So um, good on good on this gets a real vet move there. But like that just kind of tells the story of this team right now. So it, it's hard to find a lot of um, it's hard to find some real points of um, encouragement outside of like some individual good individual performances here and there but um even so not consistent enough from individuals no i agree i agree and the last thing i'll say on barcelona is it very well might get worse before it gets better but the one thing they cannot sporting wise financially politically cannot afford to do is miss out on the champions league for next year that is I, I i cannot stress enough like you thought the financial situation was bad now if barcelona miss out on champions league football cash next season they are more than likely going to have to sell the top five players that they have to compensate for that i mean pedri gone Anzufati, fati frankie de jong Ara- araujo like gone like i'm it is I, that is the one thing i'm very afraid of so I think you're cutting your losses if you sack uh, Ronald Coleman now because that's that's the direction things are looking. So leave it at that. Rian, let's take a quick break so I can cool off. And uh, we will chat, of course, about your question and my final one. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. I've taken my Xanax. I, uh, I'm back in a somewhat calm state of mind, but we've moved on from Barcelona. Rian, we were going back and forth today, of course, talking about the agenda we're going to talk about in the the legal portion of the pod for the week. And your question, actually, I told you this offline, but had me just laughing for like a solid 45 seconds, just cackling to myself. Um, Maybe others won't find it as funny. I did, but go. What, Rihanna, what is your question? <laughs> it's, it, it's come to my attention recently um, that, you know, there's a, there's, I, I don't know if it's like a colloquial saying or from Atletico Madrid fans and, and around the club um, or not, but something along the lines of, you know, you must suffer or, or like suffering, suffering is necessary or something like that. Um, and I feel like they really believe it and not by they, that the team, um, including 
Diego Simeone, four out of their five games, they've scored in the 90th minute to either draw or win the game so far in this season. Uh, And it just has brought me to this thought. I should say five, five, four out of the six games, not, not four out of five. It's had me wondering, Elias, is Diego Simeone a masochist? Does he really enjoy? <laughs> I, I would almost say heart attack is not even the right word. It's like <laughs> it's it's like he loves to watch not only his players suffer. He obviously loves to suffer himself. So like <laughs> no, obviously, um, he likes to have his fans suffer. Like he might be a sadist and a masochist at the same time. I'm wondering, like, what is it about this team that they can't play well until there's like seven minutes left in the game, or they get? <laughs> 10 minutes of added time <laughs> and somehow find a way to score in like the 97th minute or something. I don't know. They've been like cardiac this season. <laughs> like it's, it's ridiculous. It's I know. Ridiculous. I know. I know. And I fully agree with you, by the way, just for the record, I absolutely 100% agree that this team has been extremely chaotic and borderline terrifying to watch if especially if you're an athletic fan like i cannot imagine what your heart has gone through in the last six matches but i think to answer your question is diego simeone a masochist my answer is actually going to be no if we're answering this question legitimately which of course we have no interest in doing it's all for fun but i think there's something deeper here that i want to get to diego simeone has probably the most talented team in Spain right now. He has the deepest squad, probably the overall best squad of players. As I mean, as team chemistry goes, as well as I would argue individuals. But his biggest problem right now is finding out what is his starting 11. Like what is his best 11 that he feels? How does it work? How do they gel together? And I think ever since that Villarreal game at the end of August, which saw just the wildest own goal from Mandi. Ever since then, I think they've struggled. And I think they've struggled to actually build out from the back and then find what is the right combination of forwards to play with. And I mean, formation and players. Between watching basically Angel Correa and Carrasco start the season up front, which seemed to gel very, very well. And then adding a combination of Griezmann and Suarez off the bench has absolutely fallen flat as well as Jao Felix have all, all three have and Acuna, and, and Acuna um, or Cunha, not Acuna or is it? Cunha? It's Cunha. It is Cunha. Yeah. Yes. Not Acuna. Acuna is place for Sevilla. Anyway, long story short, he has not been able to figure out a, his starting 11, but more importantly, who's going to play up front now because Griezmann and Suarez, João Felix, Cunha, they're all talented players, right? Very, very talented and are capable of scoring goals. But I think that they don't necessarily work in 
the three five two ish system that he's started to play or five three two depending on which attacking or transition phase of of the play that he's in so dio simeone isn't himself a masochist but the way this team right now absolutely has him looking like one for sure without a doubt so i think what's going to be more interesting is basically their month of October, right? They play Milan, I think, again, in the Champions League um, next week, next week in the Champions League. And then they play Barcelona, they play Liverpool, they play Sociedad all in the month of October. So that will be a very telling, telling month. But I have not, I've just not been impressed with them so far. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, to, to cut him a bit of slack, it's going to take time for this to all mesh together, right? Like the hardest, yeah. the hardest thing in the sport is figuring out how to score goals, right? And specifically how to create chances on a consistent basis. And this is, I mean, I can't think of a time where he's been the coach of Atletico Madrid and they've had a better array of attacking talent like i i can't remember another time when when they had this many talent extremely talented attacking players and it's a real test of his coaching skills really like we've seen him be able to to do so much with the athletic teams in the past where you know the common saying the team was greater than the sum of its parts, right? So many times we've seen that um, from Atletico Madrid. And now it's like some of their parts is pretty high and pretty and higher than almost everyone else's. So you get greater than the the sum this time, it's going to take some real, really good coaching from an attacking point of view because to play the way that they've been, playing so far and struggling to create chances it's not really going to cut it it's 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 going to be very disappointing and with how we've seen Real Madrid start the season how well that we've seen a couple of their players who didn't who weren't locked in starters last season step in and really take the mantle and and play very well for the most part for these first six games. I don't think Atleti are going to be able to just kind of ride their luck and just keep getting that one goal here or there at the end of games and just do that for the entire season and, and be able to win the league like they did last season when it was, when it was just really, a, I mean, Madrid just didn't look as good at any point last season as they do right now, honestly. So it's going to be tougher. And that's not even to mention how well Sevilla have started the season themselves too. So it's, it's got to get better than this. It's got to, like, it just has to look. If, if they'd like to this. compete for the league. Yeah. Yeah. They don't yes, have a choice. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like it has to get better than this. And he has to find a way to, make it all work from the attacking point of view. They're still like, like this past game against Hitafe, the two goals that they end up scoring 
just like terrible defending from Hidafi. Yeah, like uh, you yeah, cannot, yeah. you cannot rely on that. That was not anything like. That wasn't like oh, Atleti were just creating chance after chance, and it just it just <laughs> had to happen. Like it was gonna happen. No, it was like one really weird decision um, for the first Luis Suarez goal, where the center back just steps up for no reason and leaves Suarez alone, and the second one is like a hopeful ball that's played into the box and the same center back completely misjudges the ball, the cross in. And it's one of the easiest headers that Luis Suarez will ever have in his career. Right. Uh, right. So it's not enough. It's just, it's not enough right now. It's not going to be enough to win the league. I don't think, I think that this Real Madrid team is better than we thought they were going to be. And obviously, like I said, a lot of that has to do with the emergence of Vinny, but it, it's got to get better than this. It's, it's just has to, if they, if they want to win the league and they have enough talent, more than enough talent to do it. So it would actually be quite disappointing right? if they didn't win the league this season. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And the one standout player, actually probably two standout players still for me though, in this kind of muddled athletic side it has to be Correa and Rodrigo de Paul, two players who, A, and Rodrigo de Paul, who I think has basically carried his Argentine form into this team. And then Correa, who, if you, if you saw it, like his world class just flick over, I forget who it was on Hitafe, but just unreal flick over to drive into, or I guess the, down the right hand channel. He's, he's just balling out. Like, I, I don't know how else to put it other than that. Usually I have a better phrase, but he is just having fun playing football, and I'd love to see that. Um, so, yeah, I think Atletico aren't in trouble yet, but they do need to improve. So, Rian, with that, the final question for the pod on this week. I have a question about a player who has gone his separate ways from the top five leagues in recent years really, really hitting his stride for Atletico Madrid, for Monaco, somewhat in the Premier League, question mark. I'll leave it to you to maybe give your judgment there. But, of course, I'm talking about Radamel Falcao, a player who's returned to La Liga, playing for Rayo Vallecano now, probably, arguably, one of their greatest signings ever up there, yeah, probably up there with Hugo Sanchez, who, for for those fun facts, Spanish football lesson, I guess, La Liga history lesson, Hugo Sanchez played for Rayo Vallecano, one of their most revered favorite players, Mexican international in the 1993-1994 season, scored, I believe, 17 goals in 29 games, and then promptly left. <laughs> so Hugo Sanchez, again, up there with one of Rayo's best ever players, but Radamel Falcao has come in and absolutely dominated. I mean, he has scored two goals in, I believe, two games now. Rayo are sitting. I actually, this shouldn't even be surprising at the point, but they're sitting one spot above Barcelona in sixth place, right below the Champions League spots, only off by one point to Sevilla and the rest of the teams above. So, Rian. I'm curious when you see someone like Falcao come to a team 
that just came back to La Liga, a team that probably a lot of people were expecting to fall flat, get immediately relegated. What kind of impact do you think this makes to uh, to a team like Rio? Like, especially uh, with some, I mean, we know that Falcao is not the same player he used to be, but still. Yeah, I mean, we know the talent isn't quite there. Uh, well, I don't want to say not quite there, but not what it was, right? Um, I think from a more uh, intangible feeling, like, have such a legend to come to their club and already in the first two games he scored two goals um i think one of them might have been a winner i, I... one one of them absolutely was a winner um yeah. it was i believe uh, a couple of weeks ago i think it was his first no. goal was a winner right? oh no it was what's today it was like two days ago oh, against bill bow yeah, it was against Bilbao in like the 96th minute. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like to have him come in, it's obviously going to have a huge effect, I think, on. I'm not going to say he's like going to bring everyone up a level in terms of like their like play on the field. But, you know, when he comes in, it's going to want- make everyone want to play better. Right. And it probably, and I believe it adds another level of like concentration, especially in training. Like even if he's not, he obviously doesn't have the quick, the same like agility and, and quickness um, anymore. Right. But he still knows how to score goals very well. He still knows how to get 100%. into those positions to score goals very well. And I think the hope is that not only is it going to encourage and, and maybe the, the forwards of, of Rio to like learn from him, but the hope is that it'll also improve the defenders on their team too, especially when they're facing him in training every day and, and improve their awareness and how close they need to be to strikers and stuff. So I think from like that intangible point of view, it's great. And then I think from like a cultural point of view, it's, it's, it's awesome to see him succeed because you just think back to, especially the Atletico Madrid days where it is very surprising that he's he was only on that team for two years, but yeah. he scored 52 goals in those yeah. two seasons. Um, <laughs> as a Chelsea fan, distinctly remember his goals in the um, Super Cup, uh, I think the tw- in 2013, uh, the UEFA Super Cup in 2013, when he scored a hat trick against Chelsea. Uh, like a great hat trick, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then his move to Monaco, the first the first Monaco spell, um, where he's playing very well throughout the first half of the season. Then he tears his ACL like right before. And that was also leading into the World Cup too. That, yeah. Who knows what that Colombian team could have been? I, I, the what ifs there, where <laughs> yeah he plays, and maybe it means that James Rodriguez doesn't sc- score as many goals as he did. And maybe he doesn't go to Real Madrid and maybe like all this other stuff doesn't happen. Like, it, there's, there's a funny ripple effect there. I feel yeah. Like. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, obviously like that didn't, that first spell didn't go as well. And then he bounced around a bit to Manchester United and Chelsea, but he was kind of a shell of himself at that time. But then he returned to Monaco and then they win the league. And, and um, I remember him scoring a great goal against Man City in the Champions League as well yeah. in their run to the uh, semifinals. Was that, that was with, 
Killing Mbappe's breakout season. That was killing Mbappe. Yeah. yeah, that was killing Mbappe. I think it was his first full season as a as a senior player. Right, um, Mbappe. So it's it's really cool to see like this whole journey of a player that we've been watching for a long time and remember how good he was um like seven eight years ago at this point to come like almost full circle back to la liga obviously for for a much different profile of a team right but to see him still be able to have that same impact it's like it's really nice and and he's like one of those players that despite his very very disappointing spell at, at chelsea it's still someone that I enjoy seeing succeed. So it's, I think all of it's just great for Rio as, like I said, culturally. And also just great to see Falcao like succeed. So for sure. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to hate the man. You can't really hate him at all, quite frankly. So, well, a little history lesson, a little fun fact, Falcao already on two goals in basically two games in La Liga. So he'll be doing just fine with that. Ladies and gentlemen, I think I'm going to go probably call my therapist after this episode and uh, have a nice conversation there, but thank you as always for listening. We'll be back next week talking a little bit about the stuff in England and the stuff in the champions league. And of course the stuff in Spain. Thanks guys. 